Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Slate House Property Management. Slate House manages over 3,500 units across the Mid-Atlantic, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Property management is sure not the sexiest industry, but what makes Slighthouse unique is it was founded by investors and engineers. Slighthouse has built or licensed over 12 different technologies to improve returns for investors and make better living experiences for tenants. Full-time maintenance guys help work get done quicker at a reasonable price. Slighthouse manages properties for many of the guests on this show and has helped them scale their business while they focus on acquiring properties. For more information, go to slatehousegroup.com, call 717-413-6976, or email service at slatehousegroup.com. Look forward to talking to you. Hey guys, uh, I'm Chad Gallagher, the host of the Real Estate Hackers podcast. Super pumped today. We got Christian Pepe with First Equity Funding here today. Christian, thanks for uh, joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. So Christian's the uh, managing partner. And what I, what I really want to talk about with him, a couple different things that I think um, everyone will find really interesting. Uh, I guess the first is maybe just give people a background of kind of what you do. I, you're kind of in the hard money space. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So uh, our main focus is lending to investors both on a short-term basis and for investors that are looking for longer-term solutions. So, you know, our core product is our fix and flip product that allows investors to purchase a property, fix it up and sell it. Uh, but more recently, we've been focusing a little bit more on some of the long-term uh, products and, and long-term focus that a lot of our investors have as they're trying to build out their real estate portfolios. We have some some 30-year fixed uh, rental loan products that investors can keep in the name of an LLC. And uh, these are more kind of like no-doc loans where you know we don't deal with a lot of the red tape of personal tax returns and things like that to get uh, investors more investors qualified. Cool. Um, so I, mean, I want to really get into. So you got some kind of unique uh, products on the financing side. Uh, I guess so as I think about kind of some of the stuff you're doing on the hard money front, it's super important to basically evaluate the value of the property. Sure. Uh, probably more so than the actual the borrower. Sure. Which is a little flip from maybe like how a normal banker were to operate. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. That's a very good point. I mean, you know, hard money has kind of become the the term that everybody uses in, in this space. You know, we think of it more as like kind of asset-based lending where, you know, we definitely want to make sure that a borrower 
you know, meets a certain credit requirement, but it's not the high bars that you're used to in, in a traditional lending sense. Experience is a very, very big thing for us. So we'll lend to new investors, but the more experienced investors are going to get higher leverage. Um, but yeah, to your point, I mean, the the asset-based side of things. So what that property is worth when they're buying it and what it's going to be worth when they renovate it are, are really the you know, most important things for, for us. So let's kind of dig in a little bit more. And specifically, I kind of want to talk through on the tech front, because this is something that, frankly, I think investors all investors are trying to figure out what is a property worth? What's it worth today? And maybe what's it worth later? Um, how, talk me through how you guys do that internally. What what sure. what does that look like? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we rely heavily on our appraisals and, you know, anything that we're lending on. I mean, we are going to do a full a full appraisal. Uh, we have a very vetted out select list of, of appraisers. You know, the, the biggest thing, the hardest thing that I find is, you know, understanding that as repaired value, right? And I always say this, a lot of people don't have vision. So even an appraiser, if they're given a scope of work and they're looking at a property, when you're going out there and visiting it and it's run down and, you know, maybe the kitchen's gutted or, you know, to, to try to envision what this thing is going to be worth when it's fixed up is tough until it's until it's done. So first and foremost, we want to make sure that we have, you know, appraisers who really understand that concept. So we rely, you know, heavily on that, obviously, looking at the sales comparison approach, you know, looking at what things are selling for in, in the market. Um, we have other things that, that we look at, too, that, you know, really to try to get an investor comfortable with where the market is going to be maybe when this when this uh, project is finished, making sure that they understand, you know, some of the demographics about that individual zip code. So can you just, let's just go a couple layers deeper sure. there. So, I mean, I get, I get an appraiser coming out and that's kind of a little more of a kind of the old school approach. Um, what I'm super interested in is kind of the forward uh, method. Or you were telling me, I think you have this product called like this internal tool you call sure. loan sizer? Is yeah. That right? So it's, I mean, for, yeah, for that's just kind of the terminology we use around the office, but essentially what it is, is it's really, I mean, it's a pretty sophisticated Excel spreadsheet, but what it does is it pulls in monthly data about individual zip codes. So, you know, just to give you a couple examples. So we, we plug in a zip code and what it'll give us is the average days on market for that particular town. Uh, and that's really important, right? If you're flipping a property. So one of the indicators we have is we want to see that the days on market is typically under 150 days on market. So, and, and that's five months, right? So if it takes the average home in that zip code more than five months to sell, just might be something that everybody wants to pay attention to. You know, is it a little bit of a soft market? Are we seeing things sit out there longer? And is it going to have, you know, some implications when you go to bring that house to market? Another thing is, you know, median home price. So we're also looking at what does the average home sell for in that particular zip code? So you talk about, you know, not wanting to be an outlier in a, in a market, right? So if it's in a neighborhood where, you know, most homes in, in the zip code sell for 200,000 and you're estimating your as repaired value to be say 400,000 and let's say, you know, your house is going to be 200% of what the, what the average home sells for. So not saying that it won't sell for that, but it might sit a little longer. It might not meet the typical demographic in that in that neighborhood. Another thing is home price appreciation. So we want to see what's going on in that zip code. Are homes appreciating in that zip code or are they or, or, or is it a soft market and, and prices are going down? I mean, if we see that a zip code has, you know, a five percent price, you know, depreciating, we want to be concerned with that because what what it's worth today, it may be worth less by the time they bring that that house to market. This is great. Um, so, I mean, all that makes a lot of sense. Can you talk me through, so you said the data, uh, where's the data come from? 
Yeah, so we're, we're actually Zillow has a lot of like backend analytics that you can that you can access uh, and it updates monthly. And literally by zip code, you could pull in what's the HPA, the home price appreciation, what's the median home price, what's the average days on market, and you can grab all this. So we update it monthly. And and again, it's not we don't default entirely to that. I mean, I could give you a couple of examples. We we did something recently. Uh, it was in property in Monroe, New Jersey. I don't know if you're familiar with that area, but. It the the town consists of very big, nice kind of McMansion type homes, but there's also a lot of senior uh, 55 and older communities. So that 55 and older, those selling a lot less, was kind of like just misconstruing the data and kind of bringing the median home price down. So you know we don't use it as our go-to, but it it just gives us a help kind of. Interesting, right? So it's like I guess we're getting at, and that totally makes sense. Is that you know the so basically you've you've created this kind of homegrown formula. For yes. saying, hey, should we green light or what, what do we think a home is worth? And, you know, in a town where there's uh, a big difference between the uh, nice homes and not so nice homes. Sure. The median home price is actually probably not a great uh, variable. Yeah. Is again, this is just, yeah, this is just kind of an initial thing. You know, we obviously need to know your local market. You know, as mentioned to you earlier, I mean, even for us, as we're starting to expand, I mean, most of our lending has been in the tri-state area, but as we're starting to expand into other areas, you know, even just going on a Google Maps, I mean, it, it really is basic as that is. It is a good indication for you to start to get a feel for the neighborhood and the street and kind of what's going on, going on around it and, and definitely helps us. So um, I think the Zillow data is super interesting. You're the first um, guest I've talked to on the show here who uses Zillow data. Um, I'm a big believer in data. I know our audience is. Can you talk me through, could anyone... You know, if you're an investor, could you access this Zillow data today, or did you have to do something special? Yeah, I, I believe that I believe that you can. I'd be the first to tell you I'm not the one who who does it to be able to okay. tell you exactly how to do it. But okay. uh, but yeah, I do believe that that there's a way that you can that you can access that data. And so basically, you're you're bringing the data in, and then you guys created basically this like kind of front end Excel sheet. Yep. That brings the data in. You plug in. I assume is, is it pretty simple? Like you plug in. Is it as little as like a zip code and yeah, an address yeah. and that kind of stuff? Yeah, so it, it, we're looking at a lot of different things. So we're looking at, okay, you know, what is that client purchasing the property for? How much work are they putting into it? What's the resale going to be? Are they, what's the, what's the, the plan? Are they flipping it? So if they're, if this is a plan to buy, fix, and then hold, we're less focused on the resale side of things. So then we're looking more at, okay, well, what's the projected rent? What's the cash flow on this asset? Is that, does it support the debt? Those type of things. So depending, and is it a multifamily? Is it a single family? Is it mixed use? Is it a, you know, we're looking at all these, these different things, but yeah, it's all, when you put the address in there, you put the zip code in, it kind of populates a lot of things and gives us a, a starting point. Another thing we look at uh, is what is the renovation being done? So uh, and we kind of categorize things as either light rehab or heavy rehab. Heavy rehab would be something where, you know, either just a pretty expansive budget or somebody who's maybe doing uh, doing some expansion. If they're expanding the footprint or the square footage of the property by more than 15, 20 percent, you know, I would say it's kind of big boy stuff, right? It's not just going in there and, you know, swapping out, you know, gutting kitchens, bathrooms. You, you know, we feel comfortable if you've never done a flip somebody doing that type of project. But if you're talking about, you know, we talk about like these pop tops or Cape to colonial conversions where you're literally ripping off the roof and adding a second level, you know, that's when we want to dig in a little bit deeper, make sure, you know, you, you have the right contractor, you've kind of vetted out this project and that you've done some, some projects before. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just want to backtrack a little bit. Yeah, so you sure, said sorry. about a rent estimate, uh, obviously like providing rent estimates 
could be somewhat data-based. Sure. Uh, how are you guys, is that is that data coming through Zillow too, or are yeah, you using a different source of data for that? So when we actually, we do defer to our our uh, appraisers when they're doing the appraisal that they're giving us rental comps. If the strategy is to hold, and I mentioned these longer-term rental loan products that we're doing, I mean, those, we have them do a comparative market rent schedule in the appraisal. If it's rented now, what's the actual rent? And what is the market rent? And if it's not rented again, you know, we'll rely a little bit more on what the market rent is. But yeah, they're they're pulling comps. And but really good point, because it is it is tricky. I mean, you're pulling it from, you know, you are looking at rental comps on Zillow and you're looking in the MLS, but a lot of rental, you know, rentals do go in the private, you know, kind of private, not marketed it's on nice. the MLS. And it's and it's tough to get that data for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we we do almost nothing on the MLS. Yeah. We, we rent about four thousand units. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Um, okay. So, I mean, it, uh, I think what's interesting to me is, is I think through like the, the you know, the future of being an investor, uh, you know, as a, as a company like Zillow collects more and more data, it seems like what you guys are doing with your kind of what you call your loan sizer tool, where you're basically bringing in data, you're looking at median home price, you're looking at days on market. I guess what I'm wondering is, I mean, do you think man, you might as well just have your investors also use similar data, which even aligns you guys even more, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, we don't do that in, in a formal capacity I and mean, we don't share this, you know, you know, it's kind of proprietary and something that we keep in, but it's definitely something that our loan officers, when they're having that conversation that they're bringing to, you know, bringing to our investors' attention, hey, you know, this works, we're okay lending on this, but just wanted to mention to you, you know, this market is, you know, on the cusp of maybe becoming a soft market or, you know, pay attention to days on market, make sure, you know, give them some food for thought, make sure that they're pressing their agent or whoever it is that's helping them get their arms around what this property is going to be going to be worth that they're really, you know, digging in and and, and taking a, a deeper dive. Yeah. I mean, I, and what I think is like, ideally, eventually investors would actually just create their own version of this, or there would be a tool like this they could use. Um, because it'd be great if they had access to, and I realize your tool right now is proprietary, but it'd be great if they had access to the same data because then, you know, your conversation gets a lot easier, sure. right? They say, hey, look, sure. I know what you guys are looking for. And by the way, if I'm an investor, this is all stuff I want to know too. Absolutely, yeah. You know. Yeah, there, listen, there's nothing more frustrating to an investor and to uh, our team when, you know, an application comes in and, you know, and it's, hey, you know, buying this for 150, putting 50 into it and think the as repaired value is 275 and then appraisal comes back and it's at 200 or whatever. You know what I mean? It's it's frustrating for the work that we've put into it. It's frustrating, you know, the borrower that, you know, they're all excited to do do a, a transaction and, you know, they've spent money on an appraisal. So, yeah, I mean, very good point. I mean, the more you can analyze and do up front, the better for sure. Are, are Do any investors, I mean, you've got some pretty sophisticated data tools here. Mm -hmm. Do any investors use you as kind of a gut checkpoint of, should I even do this project? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people fit in different categories. The experienced people, they have their act together. They, you know, they know what they're doing. But yeah, absolutely. The, the first timers, the people who maybe only have a couple deals under their their belt, they're, they absolutely want want that, that, that opinion. And we try to do it in the right way. I mean, listen, we're never here to tell you you know, th this is their project. You know what I mean? We're, we're just the lender, but we envision ourselves as, you know, we kind of like to think of ourselves a little bit as, as, as a partner. I mean, you know, my background, I've done, you know, over a hundred of my own flips. So it's, you know, we always say we own our own construction company. 
we've been in their shoes. We understand what it's like to, you know, take down a property and how to analyze it and how to manage a construction project and all those things. So if we could be value added, you know, we, 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 we want to be as much as we can. That's awesome. I mean, hundred flips is a lot. Uh, I love it when the, when the kind of executives in a company also have real experience. Um, we, I personally don't do any flips. I tell people all the time. I, uh, so we, I've done one flip. I bought a, a house at a tax sale for 5k and we sold it for three. Um, we got inside and said, Whoa, yeah, uh, yeah. this isn't what we do. So we're not yeah. a flipping company. Yeah. Um, but this is, this is, this is great stuff. Um, there's like, what, what a big topic I want to cover on, which is as I kind of think about where real estate's going, one of my hypotheses is that basically organizations are going to get bigger. And so that's, that's coming from this huge influx of tech and systems and scale. And as they get bigger, it should put downward pressure on fees and and overall just rates, which is a huge win for a lot of people, but also a huge win for investors. Um, so I guess at a, at a high level, do you agree with that kind of hypothesis? I, I do. Yeah. I mean, the more, you know, the global village kind of thing, I mean, people can go online, they can get quotes from, you know, a national lender and yeah, I mean, all that stuff. I mean, these fintech companies, everything that's going on, I mean, it's definitely driving, you know, the cost, you know, that it, it, cost you to originate a loan and obviously just competition, you know, kind of, kind of brings, brings yeah. that all. all Talk about your own experience in this. So how old is your company? You guys are. Yeah. So only, you know, in this hard money space, we've been in business for about five years. Okay. So five years. Yeah. Uh, so over five years, as you guys have grown and, and your own investors are willing to have lower interest rates, they require of you probably because they've seen your stability now. Are you seeing are you seeing the ability to be able to pass on to the end investor a lower interest rate yeah, through no, your company? No question about it. I mean, when we were starting in this space four or five years ago, a rate of 14%, three to four points was very, very much customary wow. and and 20% down. And that was that was the market. And that has come in considerably. I mean, year over year, then it, you know, it went to 13 to 12. I mean, I would say our average, you know, rate and fees is, you know, probably somewhere between the nine to 10% range on the interest rate. And, you know, maybe two points where things were three and four points before, and even more aggressive than that. I mean, our, you know, we're, and this is just the way we, we look at things. I mean, we're, we're always going to want investors to have their own skin and skin in the game. That's very big for us. You know, we hear a lot of talk and we compete with, you know, with competitors that, you know, will offer hundred percent financing, I personally think that's ludicrous. I mean, I think there's a very big difference. And, you know, you get that question a lot, right? I mean, oh, but there's so much meat in the bone. We found such a good deal. There's a very big difference, in my opinion, with, you know, putting your own money up and, and like I said, having your own, you know, skin in the game. So we'll do loans with as little as, say, 10% down. Um, but we want to see that people are in there. But, but, getting off a little bit, but, uh, you know, our most experienced investors, I mean, our rates are now, you know, getting into the, you know, to the 8% kind of, kind of arena there, which so, I wouldn't so, have thought of a couple of years ago. Yeah, I would not yeah. have so, thought just, so, at that spot. Uh, so super macro, right? Yep. Last five years, right? Like interest rates pretty well stayed the same, right? I mean, yeah. maybe gone up maybe half a point, maybe yep. a point, but you were looking at a, a, a pretty equitable kind of comparison in five years. Yep. Um, you know, the market's gotten better, but it, it's been on a, a nice trajectory over mm -hmm. the last five years, right? Sure. So not a, I mean, while the market's gotten better, not not a huge difference in kind of the health of the market, although it's definitely a little healthier now. And yet your rates have gone from 14 to basically, let's let's call it nine, sure. maybe three points to two. That's like your average rate. Obviously there's a, yeah, a difference yeah, of, of experience level and all that stuff. 
I mean, that is staggering. It is. It is. I mean, that is just now, now how much of that is the market changing and how much of that is because your company is more stable that you're able to push down. Yeah, that's a great question. So for us, I would say it's 50, 50. I mean, it's, it's the absolutely our track record, our experience, you know, we have a fund set up where investors can come in on an individual basis. They can, you know, they could, you know, roll IRA money into our, into our fund. Um, so for a lot of individual investors, you know, I mean, yeah, having a track record, having a two year history of paying out, you know, a 15% return to our investors and showing it month over month that it's pretty stable, you know, so now as we have more capital, we're able to go out there and, you know, maybe offer it at, you know, lower, lower rates. But also I feel like the the secondary market for these products has opened up considerably. And that that's a big thing for us. You know, a certain amount of our loans we do, we do sell off, or at least just knowing we have the option to sell off. So as Wall Street has kind of, I mean, these hard money loans, believe it or not, are getting, I mean, they're getting securitized. You know, these one-year hard money loans are, are getting securitized on the on the secondary market. So I, I think as the bigger companies and you know, the Wall Street firms have gotten actually okay with purchasing this type of debt. It's it's drive you know driven because their their cost of capital is a lot cheaper than ours. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I love. I just one of my hypotheses in real estate overall is just with tech and systems and and better structure, it's going to basically bring all of these fees down, um, which I think is like really really healthy for the ecosystem. On the flip side, you know what what I think we're going to sort of see is probably less private money lenders and, 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 you know, I mean, it used to be if you wanted money, it was like, do you know a guy? Right. I yeah. Mean, I remember the first yeah. meetups I went to and literally, you know, it would, it would be like, so who do you know? Yeah. And the answer was like, I like Jim. And they'd be like, does Jim come to the meetup? Oh, he, he was at the last meetup, man. <laughs> and then someone would be like, nah, Jim's no good anymore. Like, why is he no good? Oh, well he's Jim, tapped Jim's out. Tapped out. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's like, how can I, and I mean, we're not into flipping, but I was just thinking to myself, how can you run a business yeah. based on gym? Yeah, it's great. It's great. Great point. Yeah. And right? that, and that is, and, and still I see people, you know, maybe it's more of a JV or a partnership, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you cannot be in a situation where you're putting offers in and then, you know, that that's a stressful situation to be in. Right. And I mean, look, you're always going to have, and the, you can't scale, you know what I mean? You that's can't right. scale. Yeah. With so, gym. so with, <laughs> it's, it's interesting where it's like what you need to scale in real estate is not only your own systems and tech, but you also need companies like your own and who have their own systems and tech in place because without that, you just can't be relying on an individual where you close that deal and you don't know if money's there or not. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And and I get your point with, you know, with with that side of things and processes and everything. But one thing I do think that we also have a nice touch is, is we try to have that local feel a little bit too. I mean, for the for the lending, I mean, we are branching out in more of a, a regional environment, but you know, our loan officers, they are they're going to the job site. They're literally going and meeting face to face with our investors too. So as much as you know, we have a lot of the, the bigger picture stuff that allows us to kind of kind of grow and to scale and, and be more efficient, you know, we still have that kind of local boutique feel a little bit where we can get out there and actually see what what investors are doing too. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and I think the other thing, the other hypothesis I have is that everybody always says real estate's local. I, uh, I'm a bit, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of fly in the face of, I guess, conventional wisdom. So I actually think real estate no longer has to be local. Yeah. Uh, I know that makes some people uncomfortable. No, but- um, and look, I think, I think what you're saying is right. I think you, look, it, for sure, there's a local component to it. Real estate is a physical thing and someone is doing that work and, and someone needs to be kind of checking up on that work. But if I look at your company, 
I actually wouldn't call you. You may disagree with this. You're not a local company. I mean, no, you're covering no. the tri-state. It seems like you're expanding into no, more we areas. We, and we absolutely are. And and yeah, and like to your point, I mean, you know, you go back 10 years ago for an investor, somebody who lives in California to buy something in New Jersey and properly get their arms around it with, you know, depending on a local agent, hoping that they know the market. Impossible. I mean, it's impossible. But now, you know, even through, like I, I said, something as basic as doing a Google Street View, getting these analytics on, you know, on that zip code can make it possible, you know, and, and not that you're going to be, you know, concerned that you're the person who won out on a bid on a property across the country yeah. and realize what you missed. That's awesome. Um, is there anything else that you think about as an investor is analyzing the future value of a property? It's so important in so much of real estate. Um, I love this kind of loan sizer product mm -hmm. you use. You do use a local appraiser. Is there anything else that you think about, whether it's data or tech or things you've learned that are kind of underappreciated in terms of kind of uh, evaluating the value of a, of a, a property? Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good, good question. Um, don't know that I no, don't know that I have the answer to that. To be honest <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, well, uh, let me ask a different yeah. way. What do you think trip, trip, trips up people that like when you see, cause you don't have a huge default rate, but you, you've definitely seen, you know, over five years, you've seen things not go well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when things don't go well, why is it not going well? Like what's, what's, yeah, that's what's fair, fair question. I, I would actually on the fix and flip stuff, put a lot of emphasis on, you know, the scope of work is a big component. You know what I mean? Really making sure most budgets, quite honestly, they go over, you know what I mean? Somebody goes into a house, they think it's going to cost 30 and it ends up costing 40 or ends up costing 50. I mean, inevitably, and in me, it, it constantly happens to me as many flips as I've done, you know, you try to think you analyze it the, the right way. So, so that, that's something that, that I think is, is very, very important, making sure you have the right contractors and that you're analyzing the scope the right way. But yeah, I mean, you know, when you're looking at value and, and future value, you know, making sure that you're looking at at sales, what things have actually sold for. I mean, still people will go on Zillow or go on the MLS or whatever, and they'll look at listings and you, know, you have to just keep in mind, a listing is not a sale, you know, and you have to really know what, you know, what things are actually. You, you mentioned a whole bunch at. of data that you guys look at. Is there something in particular that you is like to you is the number one, most important data point? You know, you mentioned medium home price, you mentioned days on market, you mentioned um, yeah, the, the appreciation. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The Believe it or not, this was actually surprising to me. So the days on market, I always in my head thought that that would be like the biggest indicator. Believe it or not, that median home price being an outlier in your neighborhood has been heavily kind of correlated to our to our defaults. That, I, I don't know, I found that surprising. I really did. I mean, but I guess if you're doing something that is an outlier, you know, it kind of is, you don't want to be, the, you don't want to be the unique house in the neighbor, the neighborhood, I right. guess, so to speak. And then obviously, you know, home price appreciation or a, a market where it's depreciating. You, so, uh, I think that's super interesting. I love, I love hearing when data correlates with stuff and that's makes a lot of sense as I, if I'm someone who's flipping homes or even just trying to buy something and then refi out, uh, making sure that I'm not the outlier in a, in a neighborhood, um, when you're looking at data, if you're someone who maybe doesn't know that neighborhood, are you using zip code as your equivalent for neighborhood? We are using, we are using zip code and, and it's harder for us to get this data on a bigger scale, any more 
sliced up, then, then that it, it, then it's kind of it's kind of tough. So at that point, then it is us doing desktop diligence. You know what I mean? It is going to a Zillow or going to you know some type of thing where you can say, all right, well, let's focus a little bit more on the neighborhood. Let's log into the multiple listing. Let's kind of you know do like literally focus over that little area and then really kind of see what's what's going on. Just getting a little bit more granular. That's great. Um, actually, led me to another question, which is, so talk about. You talked about kind of Zillow or the MLS as being kind of two different ways to get more granular there. Do you do you feel like Zillow is enough or do you feel like the MLS still gives you more data that that is kind of important for making this decision? Yeah, I think for the average investor, I think Zillow is a great way to start, but you got to understand the data that you're that you're that you're looking at. Um, you know, people ask all the time like about the Zestimate being accurate or, or not accurate. I mean, I've seen it be very accurate. I mean, what it's really doing is kind of doing like an algorithm of what, you know, tax assessed values are versus what they sell for and then applying that to your property. So if it's in a more cookie cutter neighborhood, I find it to be, very, you know, could be very accurate. Other areas, you know, kind of, you know, goes out the window. So I think at the end of the day, to me, it's what our houses actually selling for. So if you could set, you know, you go into Zillow, set your settings at, you know, click off sold and then click off the time. You know, you only want to focus on the last six months of the last year. Don't be, you know, don't, you may not want to focus as much as what something sold for two years ago because it's a different, a different market there. So I think, I think it can accomplish a lot and it's hard. Like in New Jersey, for example, I don't know the exact number, but I mean, there's 15 MLS systems, I think, you know what I mean? So it's very hard to get to get that data. And if you're the average person and you're not a licensed realtor or you're not in the, in this space, you're not going to get access to that data. Do you find the MLS has, does it still have more data than Zillow or is it really close and almost? I think it's really, I think it's really close. And I mean, to be honest, now you have maybe some FISBOs for sale by owner data that isn't Zillow. Zillow, that isn't in the, isn't in the MLS. I mean, I think the feedback more is because the data is flowing through to Zillow as a syndicated site, you know, it, it's more the frustration, I think, more for like buyers just not realizing a house is sold, right? So you go on Zillow and you see this house and it's listed for sale and then you call your agent or you call somebody and they say, oh no, that's been under contract. So there's that lag time. So that I could see being frustrating. Yeah. But in terms of getting data your collection. data to data yeah. collect to see what things are selling for, I, I think it solves a lot. It's funny, Christian, we, uh, we'll have to get an agent on this podcast here soon. I'll ask the same question. Maybe we'll try to pipe in the answer. I can almost guarantee an agent's going to say, oh, you need MLS data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But You're going to get a very... Uh, but I think that's more for, you know, the first time home buyer just getting frustrated of calling their agent and saying, oh, how come you didn't show me this house? And the agent's saying, well, that house has been under contract for two weeks. That's why it wasn't on the list. So it's just, it's more more of that type of, type yeah. of stuff. No, I it's, I mean, which I get from their perspective, uh, no doubt about it. Yeah, they also have a vested interest in seeing someone want access to the MLS because they have it. Sure, right? sure, yeah. So I always am, am uh, questioning that. Um, but for instance, but like realtor.com is the MLS. You know what I mean? It's not a syndicated site. So I, I feel like Zillow is just, you know, just more user-friendly, easier to, to navigate through. Yeah. But realtor.com, believe it or not, is probably more accurate and more in line with the MLS. Gotcha. Um, uh is there a world where, and this is probably not your sweet spot, but I'm going to just kind of push yeah, yeah. you over the edge here. <laughs> Could the MLS go away in the next five years and have no impact Ooh. to your business? To our business? Um, I don't think it would have a big impact on on our business as a, as a hard money lender. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I start to wonder, in our own company, we have, we have some realtors and um, 
they're always, uh, you know, I'd say by once a month, we have a, a new realtor who wants access to a new MLS. Mm -hmm. And the email goes like this, Chad, we need access to the MLS. Yeah. And my response goes something like this, why? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, do you really need to join that new MLS group in Schuylkill County, blah, blah, blah. Right, that you might do one deal a year and yeah, you're pay and, all these and fees. And hey, are you sure yeah. we can't just use Zillow to perform basically the same thing and get the same value? And and look, I'll, I mean, on our side, we are still joining the MLS, but I just, look, in five years, I just don't think the MLS exists. Right. Especially as broken out as it is, right? I mean, the fact that, and I may be wrong on the number of 15, I don't know exactly how no, many huge. MLSs it's, are, but I know a there's a ton of different ones. So that is a really, a, that that is a tough thing. If you're an agent or maybe has somebody relocating to a different area and you can't get access to that data, I mean, yeah, that's really, really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, to me, and this is gonna, you know, if anyone here <laughs> runs an MLS, they're not gonna be happy with this. To me, it was like AOL, right? Back in the day, you had to pay for access to AOL, yeah. right? And then Google finally came along and said, this doesn't make any sense, yeah. right? And so at some point, I mean, if, and I don't know if it's Zillow or if there's another one that, but at some point Zillow becomes strong enough on the data side and the user interface is so much better. As I mean, anyone who's used the MLS, the MLS user interfaces are horrendous. Yeah. Absolutely yeah, horrendous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you have to be a professional real estate investor yeah. or agent or whatever they're, to really work your way. They're not easy. Everyone's your different. Way around that, yep. Uh, at some point, Zillow, their interface gets so good, their data collection gets so good that you just say, why am I paying my AOL fee anymore? Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's really interesting what's happening and how fast it's happening. I mean, you know, you have Zillow, you know, I just saw the advertisement on the TV, you know, making an offer on your, to buy your house, you know, Zillow buying it directly. I mean, there's just all these kinds of things that are happening. Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. Well, Christian, this is great. I learned a lot. Uh, I love your loan sizer product. Uh, you probably didn't think you'd talk about that the whole time no, on that's the okay. uh, no, no, podcast no. here, but uh, I love it because I think it's super awesome that you guys have basically created a product, an Excel-based product, pulling in Zillow data to basically create... I mean, how long does it take you to use that to decide if you should do a loan or not? A couple minutes? A couple minutes. Is that fair? Yep. So commits to decide if you should do a loan or not of a town you've probably never been to, yep. a house you've never seen. Yep. And I, and I realized, and I like that, you're bringing in the local appraiser to kind of give you another frame of reference. But if you can do that, then I then to the audience, I'd say, you know, why can you not, like every everyone who is out there buying real estate should have their own, you know, their, their own tool to figure out what's going to be worth and probably looking at bringing in an external source like Zillow data to make that decision faster. Yeah. You know, and then obviously coupling that with before you, probably commit to something. There's probably a secondary. No, of course. Play, yeah. But, but you, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? It's that, you know, you're able to grab that, that data quickly to, to give somebody an early indication, but you still have that local, you know, appraiser going out there and, and, you know, doing the touch and feel of the property. Awesome. Well, look, Christian, thanks so much for joining us here. We learned a lot about how you guys evaluate a property. Um, tell our audience how they can kind of get in touch with you. If they have more questions about, either your products or maybe your approach or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anybody, if they just go to our, our website, it's www.fefunding.com. So fefunding, not uh, plural.com. Okay. They go there. That'll give just some general information. It has all our, my bio contact information and, and people can reach out to us that way for sure. Cool. 
Uh, are you like a LinkedIn guy? Are you you you? Is there a I'm, social network of choice? That I'm you on. A, I'm I'm a little bit. Uh, you know, not to your uh, to your pleasure, I'm sure, but yeah, a little bit antiquated. No, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm technically on on LinkedIn All and, right, but and you're Facebook a, and Instagram. But okay. uh, so go to the, go to the website <laughs> if you want to get in touch for lending, or I guess you'd probably talk more about how you kind of evaluate uh, properties. I I think what I'll close with is I I a I think the tech approach is great. I also think look, lenders can actually be a pretty good resource. I mean, how many properties have you evaluated? Would you say your company? Yeah, I mean thousands, thousands at this point, yeah. right? So if you're a if you're new at this, you've done a couple deals, and you've got someone in your corner who's done thousands, and probably won't charge you, <laughs> yeah, unless you do a loan. No, listen, we we right. have no problem being a second set of eyes, and you know our business is very much client base and repeat business. So we don't want people to fail. We want people to have a good experience. We a lot of this this analysis that we're doing up front is to, you know, hope that a project does yeah. go. I mean the good news is well, you have a and very that's why strong we have low default rates and all that you stuff. You got a very so. strong vested interest, I guess, Absolutely. in yeah. seeing yep. the, the yeah. project. So no, be we'd successful. rather see somebody walk away from a deal because it's too tight and and have it be the right deal when they finally, you know, finally find it. Cool. That's awesome, man. Thanks Christian for joining us. Uh, on the Real Estate Hackers podcast. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming by. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. So that's our episode of Real Estate Hackers. Thanks for joining us in your real estate investing journey. We come out with fresh new episodes weekly. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you would, let your fellow investors know about us. Also, if you've ever hacked or found a unique solution to an issue in the real estate space, hit me up. We may even share your real estate hack on a future episode. Check out our site at realestatehackers.com, on Instagram at realestatehackers, or email me directly at chad at realestatehackers.com. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Huge thanks and shout out to Eric and the team at On Air Brands. Be sure to check them out at onairbrands.com. This is Chad Gallagher, your host of Real Estate Hackers. Hope to see you at our next meetup or live event. And who knows, you may even be the next guest hacker on our show. See you soon.